0: Amen. Isn't that a great song? The heartbeat of our mission. While you're turning to Genesis chapter 12, let me remind you that on this mission weekend, there are many, many mission entities and ministries that are demonstrating to you or displaying for you their uh, ministry out in the lobby. I urge you to check those out throughout the day. And then remember, two weeks from today, we will have our Lottie Moon March for Foreign Missions, and you will have an opportunity to give to this special Christmas offering. Verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us that the Lord said to Abram, this is a Yahweh God. This is not just any God. Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Every good doctrine of missions begins with this concept right here. Today the purpose of this message is to challenge God's people not only to be like God, but to think like God. Which leads to the, the greatest joy and contentment in life, and that is this, carrying out what we believe is God's unique purpose for each of our lives. I, I can say that unequivocally. The greatest joy in life is in carrying out what you believe is God's purpose under God's leadership for your life in every area. And I want to show you that our God is a missionary God. His plan for redemption is a plan that is for the whole world. Now, he chose Abraham that through his seed, a family that would lead to Christ, that through his seed, redemption could become and all the earth should be blessed. All the earth should be blessed which reminds us that one of the great tasks of any of us is to look beyond the immediate and see the large picture. Several Sunday nights ago, I introduced to you Jake Jelinek, who's a new college intern. He's also a law student in his second year at Wake Forest Law School. When I introduced him on Sunday night, I, I know he's single and he's a law school student and he's got a heart for ministry and I said to any of you mothers who would like to do a little promotional work, you know, contact me for his name and address and telephone number, and I'll be glad to pass it on. I remember when I was at Ocean City doing summer music and youth work 193 years ago, one of my friends told me, he said, why is it that everybody who invites me out to their house for dinner has a daughter? I said, haven't you figured that out yet? You see, and the daddy or the mother who invites for dinner would say, hmm, I've got my daughter's best interest in mind, right? If I can find a nice 6'2 man filled with the spirit, rich and smart, loves Jesus, came from a good home, that's what I want for my daughter. And all the women said, Amen. But the fact is, they're looking out for themselves. I want him to get her off me so I can have a little relaxation and let him take responsibility for her. You know, how is it that we can look beyond what God did for Abraham and see that very, from the very beginning, he had a bigger picture in mind than Abraham? Now, here's my premise. God blesses a remnant in every age so that that blessing can be used to accomplish certain things and there are four of them and here they are. First God blessed his people so that they might preach the blessing of God. Now look at this get out of your country Abraham, get out of your kindred Leave your comfort zone. Anything is missionary that requires that you cross over a culture. Get out of your comfort zone. Whether it's going from from, uh, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina to the inner city of Pittsburgh. Or whether it's going to Kenya. God said to Abraham, get out of your land. Leave your country. Leave your comfort zone. Take a step of faith. Move somewhere that takes a risk. That's always involved, I think, in missions. And God blesses so so that we might preach the blessing of God. And that's what God is doing. From your father's house to a land, there's a promise. I will make you a great nation, there's his posterity. And notice five times the word bless and blessing occur in these three verses. See? See? I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is still true. From you, from this church, all the families of the earth should be being blessed. God chose us. God blessed us. God gave us an income that we might preach the blessing of God. Now, in the book of Genesis, there are three crucial breakdowns here. Three crucial breakdowns. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall of man. And you remember God came to Adam and said, Adam, Adam. And he said, where are you? And in verse 10, Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid myself. And then God knew, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Disobedience, and here's the fall of man. If you move on, you see there's another breakdown in chapter 9. The earth that becomes so sinful, the earth that becomes so wretched that God said, I'm going to destroy the earth. And in chapter 9, he does that with a flood. So you have the fall in chapter 3, you have the flood. That ends in chapter 9 and then you have a third breakdown and that's the failure of Babel. So when it comes to chapter 11, the whole earth in verse 1 have one language, one speech. They journeyed from the east, found a plain in the land of Shiner, said, let's come make us bricks. And they said, verse 4, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now underline this, Bible students, let us make a name for ourselves. Man was going to try to make a name for himself without God. Isn't that interesting? When you come to Abraham and God makes this promise, what's one of the promises to Abraham? Did you pick that up? It's in verse, verse, uh, uh, let's see, verse 2. To a land I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your what great? name." See, God all when man tries to do it by himself without God, he makes a mess. What God does for us is always blessed. And God said, you don't need to strive. That represents the effort for human reputation, for human achievement. God says, look, learn to do what I want you to do and I'll take care. I'll give you a great name. There is a great name to be found in doing the will of God. There is great joy to be found in doing the will of God. There is great privilege to be found in doing the will of God. But let God do it. Three times man tried to do it by himself. And three times man failed. Now God says, let me do it. And he said to Abraham, I will make your name great. Man had progressively alienated himself from God till God had to bring this blessing through Abraham. That's why he said that. And notice, he said, in you, all the families, chapter 12, verse 3, from the very beginning, the fall was a universal fall. All men fell. The flood was a universal flood. All men were under God's judgment. The failure of Babel was a universal failure. The whole earth was dispersed. And in that situation, only a universal plan for redemption in which salvation is offered to every tribe and every tongue and every nation would suffice. Universal fall, universal salvation. Doesn't mean everybody's automatically saved, but I'll tell you what it does mean. It means that Christ died for everybody. And it means from the very beginning, God didn't have in mind just saving Israel. God didn't have in mind just the church. God had in mind the whole world. Out of your seed, from this covenant with you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God is not then a tribal deity. I am highly offended When I pick up a book of world religions and see one chapter devoted to Christianity, let me tell you, monotheism and the uniqueness of God as the only sovereign of the world is closely tied to any doctrine of missions. And if you lose that, you've lost a burden for the whole world. There's no need to try to to win anybody to Christ because if God is just one among a number of other tribal deities, then there's no reason why they need to hear about him. But if he is the only God. If he is the only God and Christ is the only way, then the world must hear. God had a universal plan. And Abraham is promised that God will bless all nations through him, his seed. Now, wait a minute. Jesus is gone back to heaven. He was the seed. David is no longer here. He was the seed of Abraham. Jesus was the seed of Abraham. He's gone back to heaven. Who's the seed of Abraham now? Paul tells you in Galatians 3 and in Romans 9 who the seed of Abraham is. Do you know who the seed of Abraham is now? Who is it? Everybody who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the church. We're the seed of Abraham. You ask me, what right do you have to apply Genesis chapter 12 to the church? And I just told you what right I have. I am a seed of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham. And if you're the seed of Abraham, then God intends to bless us so that in us and from us all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Our God is a missionary God. You know, I have four grown children, I now have ten grandchildren, I have one more in the oven. As John likes to say, one more in the oven. Where'd he get that? Do you know where that came? I don't know. What a, what a statement. Did you know that I'm still the father of those four? Did you know that I'm still the daddy? And I want you to know when you send them off to college, that's not the end. Hear me now. Many of you can testify to that, right, Ken? Ken Sanders, that's true, isn't it? It's not the end you're still daddy. (laughs) You know, God the Father has dealt with a universal problem for all of his creation with a universal redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, God blesses us not only so that we can preach the blessing of God. Turn to him and God has blessing for you and he will pour out blessing on you so you in turn can bless others. Secondly, He blesses us in every age so that we can practice being agents of that blessing. We're not just going around telling the message, preaching, though that's good. We are agents of that blessing. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. When he set the covenant with Israel, note what he said to Israel. Chapter 19, verse 4. When Moses went up to God on the mountain... Here's what God said. Here's what you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Verse 4 now, nineteen four. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall be a special possession or treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, God said, look, I've got a threefold job for you. Based upon how I delivered you out of Egypt, that's the basis for everything. See what I did to Egypt? I brought you out of there. Now, I have done that for a reason. I have made you a special treasure I have made you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God says, I chose you not because you deserved it, but because I wanted to make you a special treasure and show the rest of the world what would happen if they would just surrender to me and come into covenant with me and watch how I pour out blessing upon blessing upon them. Now to me, Peter comes back and ties that to the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He said, we, the church, are a royal possession, didn't he? He said, we're a kingdom of priests. And he said, we're a nation under God. Our citizenship may be on earth, but it's also in heaven. In every one of those, we're a kingdom of priests. The priest is to take others to God and to bring God's message to others. See, we are agents of that blessing. We are blessed as a people so that we might be an agent of that blessing. And so the rest of the world could see exactly what it is God can do with anybody who opens his life. Now, I want to make a statement. I want you to listen to this very carefully. I want you to write it down. Think about it. Israel was a minority called to serve the majority. Israel was a minority called to serve a majority. Now, wait a minute. Quit complaining about the rest of the world. My concern is, are we going to be salt and light in this world? That's my concern. The church is a minority Called to serve the majority. Most of us stand around wringing our hands saying, in the world bad? Yeah, the world's always been bad. And until Jesus comes, the world is, will be bad. Well, how are we going to change it? We're God's treasure. We're God's kingdom of priests to be agents of blessing. We are, the church today is a minority called to serve a majority. It has been, it is now, it will always be that way. That's the heart of missions. I have people say to me every year, why do we send all this money overseas? Because I'm an agent of God's blessing. Because God gave it to me and I dare not hold it in. I've got to pass it on. If I'm going to be a kingdom of priests, I've got to mediate the blessing of God to the world. That's my job. That's your job. It's not even up for debate. That is one of the primary missions of this church. Our job is to love God and glorify God and as a result of that, God blesses us and as a result of that, we are to preach the blessing of God and we are to be agents of the blessing of God, distributing it in any way we can. Whether it's buying a new set of false teeth, praise God, or whether it's giving an 18 cent Bible, praise God. You didn't know teeth could give glory to God, did you? But I'll tell you what, that gave glory to God. We are a minority serving a majority and we'll always be a minority. We're a remnant. God always left a remnant, a special treasure. Look at you. You are the most blessed people in Winston-Salem. You are blessed beyond anybody I know in this county or this city or this area. You are God's treasure. You are God's possession. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation, a holy community. There's something unique about us. When I see you on the street, I can identify with you immediately, because we belong to the same nation. Do you understand what he's saying? The third thing God blessed us for is so that we can produce praise from God for all from all the nations. Take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 67. Our job is to produce praise. F- For God, from all the nations, Psalm 67. What a great psalm. Do you like this? God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Now, why would God bless us? Now, you have a resulting clause right here in verse 2. That your way may be known on earth. See? Look at what the psalmist says. Your salvation among all Goyim, nations, Gentiles. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield or increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. All the ends of the earth shall fear him. God's activity is directed towards the whole world. Ten times, count them, underline them in that psalm. Ten times he refers to the whole earth or to all the nations. God's plan isn't just for us to sit here and choose up sides and smell each other's hairdos. God's plan is for us to spread his blessing to the world. Now, don't take this wrong. I'm going to say something very radical. Most of us measure anything we do outside this church. Only by how many people we lead to Jesus. But I believe what this psalm is saying that it is our business to minister in the name of Jesus in any way necessary in order to bring the peoples of the earth to start praising God. That's what it says. God blessed me so that the people would praise him. I'm all for salvation decisions. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to see them come to Christ. But sometimes I think we take too much of the burden on ourselves. We think it depends on us and it doesn't depend on us. Whether they're saved or not doesn't depend on us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot play the role of the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what you can do that the Holy Spirit will not do because it's been given to us. We must be in such a position to love the world that it will produce praise in them. Ministry, just touching somebody's life with an act of kindness, a word for God, a word for Christ. Ministry produces praise and that's our purpose on this earth, to bring the nations of the earth to praise God. This psalm was sung at the Feast of Pentecost. Now look at it again. Ten times it speaks about all the nations. Remember, this is addressed to a nation of Jews who thought they were better than anybody else, who thought all the blessing of God was just for them and because they deserved it. (laughs) And God over and over said, no, 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 no. I want to bless all the nations. I want to bless the whole world. And it was sung at the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know what happened? I mean, at the Feast of Pentecost. Do you know what happened at the Feast of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2? Who was gathered on that day? People from all over the world. And when God fell, it was in fulfillment of what was forecast at the Feast of Pentecost... That in fact, God's redemptive plan was for the whole world. The very whole world. Even ministry. Every act of kindness in Jesus' name. Every cup of cold water produces ministry. We're the minority serving the majority. Even ministry means that people have to rise up and praise God. When I give a chicken sandwich in Jesus' name, it produces praise. And that's my job. And that's your job. To preach the blessing of God to be agents of the blessing of God and to produce praise from the nations for the blessing of God. Here's the last one. God blesses us so that we can prove his purpose to bless all the nations. Our task is to do what Jesus did and that is to prove to the world by our vision, by being a world Christian, By being available to go to the ends of the earth, whether it's Kenya, Lesotho, whether it is Australia, whether it is is the Philippines or Japan, our purpose is to demonstrate by the way we go, by the way we give, by the way we pray, by the way we see the world, that God's purpose is to bless the nation's. Let's take a quick Bible run. Are you ready? Go with me to the Book of Matthew. One of the reasons you need to bring your Bible is because if you stay around here long, you're going to learn where all the books of the Bible are, one, one another, one way or another. Matthew chapter three, in the wilderness, temptation, from the very, very. And Matthew 3, his baptism, and then to the wilderness temptation in chapter 4. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, something was on his mind. Notice how Satan tempted him, verse 8. The devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the what of the world class. Why did the devil try to tempt him to an easy, quick route to the kingdoms of the world? Because he was legitimately going to get the kingdoms of the world. That's why he came. He's coming back to set up his kingdom. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was on his mind that this gospel, what he was going to do was for the kingdoms of the whole world, not just for Israel as a chosen race. That was temporary. And you go on down through the life of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 8. And you see the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. This is a Gentile. This is not even a Jew. He's probably head of the, of the company of 100 soldiers in Capernaum. And he, he, brought, he said, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and tormented. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't have to do that. I'm a man under authority. I speak and it's done. Why don't you? All you have to do is speak and it'll be done. You remember what Jesus said in verse 10? Surely I say to you, I have not found such great, what class? Faith. Not even in Israel. That must have come as a terrible shocker to the Jews who strutted around thinking they were the only ones blessed of God. Look at us. Who we are. And Jesus says, look at this centurion. He's got faith I haven't even seen in Israel. Chapter 15 in Matthew, you see the Canaanite woman and the story of the Gentile woman who comes and and, uh, out of Tyre and Sidon and says uh, in verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon possessed. Jesus didn't answer. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away. He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, That's an interesting statement. Why did Jesus make that smart aleck statement? I think that was a sarcastic statement. It wasn't sarcastic to the Canaanite woman. He wasn't trying to put her off. He was trying to make a point to the disciples who were watching this. He said, I can just see, oh, master, my my daughter is demon possessed. Jesus says, sorry, I can't heal her. After all, you know, I'm not allowed to do anything except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I can just see the disciples going, what's he saying? And Jesus got a kick out of that. You know how I know that? Because he went ahead and healed her. (laughs) And then notice she says, it's just, oh, that's okay, Lord. I don't think she fully understood. She didn't get the sarcasm of it. She said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog's. Uh, Jesus said, no, Lord, true, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs from which fall from the master's table. Now watch what he says. Oh, woman. This is to a Gentile from the Goyim. She's outside of Israel. She's not even supposed to be touched. Jesus said, wow. Great is your faith. Be it unto you just as you desire. Did Jesus have a heart for the whole world? You better believe. He had a, look at Luke. Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four in his very first sermon at Nazareth. Very first sermon. Look at what he cites as, as he goes into the temple to teach. Verse 25. I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. But verse 26, to none of them was Elijah sinned except to Zarephath, a Gentile woman. He says it right in the synagogue. He challenges their idea that they were specially favored and the gospel wasn't for anybody else. And then he said as if that isn't enough, verse 27, well, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none was cleansed. Now he cites another Gentile except Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile that burned the ears of the Jews. They thought, oh my, who is this guy? We are the favored people. The gospel is only for us. The kingdom is only for us. Jesus challenged them head on and said, ah, no, there's a Gentile widow. Here's a Gentile leper who's been cleansed. Chapter chapter 8, he heals the Gadarene demoniac. You remember that? In verse 26, that's a Gentile. Folks, that's not a Jewish man. That's a Gentile. Jesus spent most of his ministry in Jewish territory, but why, and it's very surprising to me as I read the New Testament, why did he touch so many Gentiles? Because he was trying to stretch the vision of that Jewish bunch so that they could see that God's love was universal. God was a missionary God. He wasn't just blessing Israel to bless Israel. He was blessing Israel to bless the whole world. And the whole heart of God beats for a whole world that is lost Without Jesus Christ, who is the only way to get to God. Chapter 10, he sent the seventy in Luke, he sent the seventy. Do you remember back in Genesis 9, there were 70 descendants of Noah? The number 70 always represents Gentiles. He had already sent the 12 to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and said, don't go to the Gentiles. He offered the gospel of the Jews first, but now he sends them to the 70, to the Gentile world. John chapter four, one of the greatest sermons Jesus ever preached is preached to a Gentile woman, just one little woman. And it's one of the greatest sermons he ever preached. One little Gentile woman. And then you get to John chapter 12 and a group of Gentiles came to him and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's when Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all people, all nations to myself. And we always focus on the lifting up. But that isn't the point of it. You missed the point. The point was, now the Gentiles were actually seeking him. And the emphasis should be, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all nations to myself, demonstrating that God had the whole world in view from the beginning. And from that moment on, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus is ready to go to the cross. You can read the rest of John. He's headed for the cross. I've now accomplished something. The Gentiles are seeking me. So that by the time he is ascending in Acts chapter 1, he comes back and says in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, that's one, Judea, that's two, Samaria, three, that's Gentile, and the end of the earth, that's Gentile. God is a missionary God. And if you're going to be like God, you better learn to think like God. And if you're not going to think like God, we've got to think world. We can't think for Scythe County. I can't think Winston-Salem. I can't think West Wind Drive. I've got to think world to think like God. I've got to think world. Everything has got to be directed towards how does it carry out our mission to the world? How do we get out of our comfort zone and get to the world? God loves the whole world. Tori Matthews was a humane officer for the Southern California Humane Society. She got a call one day and a boy had a pet iguana. You ever seen an iguana? And uh, the neighbor's dog chased it up a tree. The iguana got out on a limb and fell in the neighbor's swimming pool and sank to the bottom like a rock. And the boy went in. The only thing he knew to do, he called 911 and said he, he had an iguana in trouble. The 911 operator called the Humane Society and The Humane Society officer came out there and saw the iguana sitting down the bottom of the pool. Well, she dived in, got the iguana, pulled it up, and then she looked at that ugly thing and she said, I've done CPR on ugly people, but I've never done CPR on an iguana. Do you do CPR on an iguana? She did. The iguana revived, and she saved the iguana. And afterwards, the reporter was doing a story on it and said, why did you do CPR on that ugly iguana? She said, I wasn't so much worried about the iguana as having to tell the boy who owned that iguana that his iguana had died. And the world is full of people. Who don't deserve the blessing of God. But God is their God. And God's heart beats for them. And even if you don't love ugly people, you want to go to them in Jesus' name because God loves them. And the heartbeat of our mission is to love the Lord our God. Ruth Tucker tells in one of her books of a missionary doctor to China, Dr. Eleanor Chestnut, who went to China in 1893, she had to take her life savings to build her own hospital. There was no money. She couldn't finish, she ran out of money, she couldn't finish the hospital, so she started operating on people with needs. She operated in the bathroom. One day a common laborer had had his leg crushed and she was required to operate in that bathroom to cut off that leg. A friend visited her from another mission station about a week later and noticed that Dr. Chestnut was limping around, could barely walk. She said, Dr. Chestnut, what happened? Oh, nothing. Did you sprain? Oh, nothing. She asked a nurse, what happened to Dr. Chestnut? She said Dr. Chestnut was in the bathroom amputating his leg and complications came up. And she needed to do a skin graft. And so she just reached down and cut off a piece of skin, a big long strip from her own leg to put around the stump of that common laborer. And that's why she's limping, but she'll never tell you that. I think Eleanor Chestnut saw the heart of God for a whole world without regard to who they were, what tribe they were, how much money they had. What I want in us today as a church is spiritual sight that sees, like God, the whole world. I want you young people to understand why this church is a missionary church because our God is a missionary God. He loves you and he has a plan for you and he can bring joy and contentment to your life if you'll surrender and yield to him. I said it in the beginning. I'll say it one more time. The highest joy and contentment comes from finding out what God's purpose is for us and doing it. Would you remain seated as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us a new fresh picture that you are a missionary God. And today I ask that you give us missionary vision and make us to be missionary Christians willing to give in a missionary way, willing to go as temporary lay missionaries on mission trips, willing to pray when Max and Joan are back in Tegucigapa, Willing to pray for those who are before our hearts and minds. Make us world Christians. Missionary Christians because you're a missionary God. And don't let us forget to be missionaries to the people across the street from us. Not just to think of ourselves but to think like you think God. To think in terms always of others who are lost without Christ. That's my prayer. While we're seated in this room, if you would say with me, God, I want to be a missionary Christian because you're a missionary God. I will be available to witness here at home. I will available, be available to cross out of my comfort zone and go somewhere in your name. I want to pray like a missionary Christian, I want to give like a missionary Christian. Because you're a missionary God. If you would say that, just stand quietly all over this room with me. One at a time. Make a sincere commitment to the Lord. Don't do it just because somebody, I'm not looking, nobody else is looking. Close your eyes. Just stand privately where you are. Say, oh God, make me a missionary Christian because you're a missionary God. Would you do it? All over this building. Lord, here's my life. I want to be a missionary Christian. Just stand quietly. Give me a picture of the world. Maybe some of you need to confess that you've been too limited in your view. You've been selfish in your view. You think mainly how God can bless you. You've taken God's blessing as just for you. Would you stand and say, oh God, I want to be a missionary Christian with a world view because you're a missionary God with a world in view.